We come together to, to learn from God. We come together to remind each other that there is a God and that God is sovereign and that God is doing a work in our lives because all through the week, People have been telling you just the opposite, haven't they? They've been telling you that you, you could do this on your own and, and um, or there's defeat or there's discouragement. But today, the message we're going to talk about today comes from a couple of examples of people who have failed. And yet we can see what God is, can do and will be doing in their life. We're in, in Colossians chapter number four. This is our 14th message in the series We've been talking about discovering our identity in in Christ alone. And so as you turn to Colossians chapter number four, we will be briefly there, but we'll be looking at several different scriptures today. Uh, One thing that we we noticed at the um, during the services, we prayed for Jeremy. We prayed for the new church being started in in Mackay. And we, we need to understand something that's very, very important is that nobody works alone in Christian ministry. We are together. And last week we talked about friends and we talked about how friends support one another. And we'll go over that in just a moment. But you need to understand that. And we need to remember and to rely upon the fact that we work in team ministries. Back in the in the 1960s, my, my father started, Michael's grandfather started a church in Southern California. And um, people were brought together. And I can still remember that. And the church is still going today. And, um, and, and, and they brought together and they, they decided that, that God wanted them to plant a church there. And then God called Dad to, to start a church in Melbourne, in, in Australia. And so we packed up our bags and, and he worked with another guy. That man went to Sydney. And we discovered something that, that we landed. I was a 13-year-old kid just observing all these things. And that we landed not knowing anybody. So the first thing I remember we began to do, we began to pray that God would bring a team together. God would bring people together because um, he had no one to work with. We got a knock on the door and there were two young men there who said, you know, we've been praying about um, a church needed to be started in a particular area. And um, to make a long story short, we heard your name. Boom. And one of those young men is now an old man and he's my brother-in-law and so you know things like that happen and so they work together as a team it's very important to do this when dawn and i moved over here a a little over 40 years ago we we came here to to help um, um, a couple pastors start a church as a team very very important um, to to work together to encourage one another and as we begin to do that work and and more responsibilities came up about 31 years ago a man and his wife and, and their two sons um, um, arrived from the USA to also do church planning. And they came to work with Don and myself. And um, we, were, we were in Perth there and we had just finished our first uh, constructing our first church building. And, um, and, and a lot of people were coming and things were, were happening. And I felt a little bit out of depth there and a little bit that I was needing help i needing somebody to come alongside me especially to work in the areas that i wasn't strong in and so we were praying about that and we thought that god had this man in mind we had met years earlier when he was a youth pastor i was preaching in his church and um, he was a youth pastor and he invited me to come and stay with him so i stayed with them and um, we had dinner together and we got talking we became friends and um, and we struck up that friendship because we stuck up we struck up a friendship based on a common love and our love for the gospel of jesus christ and seeing churches planted and lo and behold he decided he told his pastor he decided 
that maybe God was calling him to Australia as well. And so so he began to work with us. I'm, I'm sure I was was not very happy. Uh, the pastor wasn't very happy with me at the time. But he, he, he so he went back to school, got his education. He began to to, to work hard and to um, raise his support. He, he was very well educated with with degrees, a gifted communicator had very good financial support behind him. He was enthusiastic about what he was doing. And he said he wanted to come and work with us. And we said, come on. And he did. He got his visas, got everything together and everything looked great. And I can remember we picked him up at the airport and they they basically hit the ground running, as it were. A lot of people had invested a lot of time, a lot of resources into their ministry. It looked really promising. And so as we worked together, we spent many hours together planning and working together with um, with the start of another new church. But before that, I said, could you work with us for a year? And he said, oh, I definitely want to do that. And I said, and, and we can um, from there, we will we will move out and we'll start another work. And so so we began to do that. But something happened. Something happened that I wasn't aware of and I. It was it was something that he probably wasn't aware of as well. It was a family issue that he was dealing with. And after only six months, I was driving him back to the airport. They got rid of everything. They went back to the USA. We hadn't had contact since. And it was devastating. We were disappointed. Um, we, we had been working together. We we'd, Everything the day before, we had planned some things. But, but some things had come up. And he assured me it wasn't me, <laughs> and he assured me that it was, it was something that was happening in his life, but, but we thought, well, there he goes. So we can only pray for them. But we were disappointed. Today we're going to be talking about when friends fail you, when friends let you down. It was a very serious um, setback for us, and we wondered what had happened to him. What was going to go on? Today we're going to learn some lessons from two of Paul's friends that he had listed in Colossians chapter 4. This is really part two of last week's message. So before we get into this message today, let's do a quick review of what we did last week. As we looked in Colossians chapter 4, we saw that when Paul was closing off his letter, he introduced us to several people who was working with him. And we called them Faithful friends and what faithful friends do. And from those passages there, we drew six different things that faithful people do when they're working in ministry. The first thing that we saw with Tychicus and and Onesimus is that they share with one another. They shared the ministry. It wasn't that he was the boss. No, what they did is they shared the burden. They shared the ministry together. And we saw with our um, Aristarchus and with Mark and with Jesus Justice, we saw that they accepted one another. They came from all these different backgrounds, um, ethical back, uh, ethnic backgrounds that, uh, that they normally would never have gotten along together. And we found that they, friends, faithful friends, accept one another. And they also pray for one another. And we saw that, that um, he said that Epaphras was praying for them fervently. You see, that's what Christian friends do for one another. They pray for one another. And then he said that they, he, he, with Aristarchus and with um, Epaphras, with Luke and with Demas, he says that they send their greetings. Now you need to understand something here, that these men weren't, weren't, did not know these Colossian Christians. Paul had never been to Colossae. 
And yet they were sending Christian greetings to one another. That's what faithful friends do. And, uh, and then they, um, Paul, at the very end, um, just before he closed off the letter, he remembered that there was a young man in Colossae who was looking after the church while their pastor was away, while their pastor was with Paul, actually. And this young man might have felt out of depth. And so he sends a quick little note to Archippus. And he says here, he says, remember the ministry. Don't, don't let it go. Remember to keep faithful at it. In other words, Good friends build up one another. They edify each other. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? And at the end, the Apostle Paul reminds that church there to remember him. Because good friends do not fail. They don't fail to, for, to remember. They don't forget uh, when a person's in a, in a trial or in a problem. And so um, it's, you know, it's an important thing to be a friend. So that was basically last week. And so we take it upon ourselves to understand that Christian friendship is much more different than, than what we see in the world and, and the great things that we have in the world, because what we normally have are acquaintances. And so now we're developing a rapport, Christian friendships of brothers and sisters in Christ. But when it comes to that, there's two people listed here who actually later on failed Paul. And, and, and so they're listed here as, 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 as working along with fellow helpers and everything's looking good, but something happened. It's a privilege and it's a responsibility for all of us to understand that those who have failed, you don't let them go. They need to be restored. You see, failures are not just burdens that we bear. Failures can also cripple a believer and they can cripple them for the rest of their life unless they're dealt with biblically. And so we're going to look at that today and some different things that we can do today. In Galatians chapter 6 and verses 1 and 2, the Bible gives us this, this um, command. He says, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. Now, that's going to take some time. Sometimes it takes a lifetime. Sometimes it never does get resolved. So therefore, he says in verse 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And you may remember from last week that the law of Christ involves what it took for him to be a friend for us. It was based in love. And that's not just a love that is, a, that is based on, on our comfort. It is an agape love, a love that is based on sacrifice. Friendship, very, very important. And as we look at it, we can go back even to the book of Proverbs. And I, I, we've got four different things I'm going to bring up. Just And they're, they're in your notes there. You might want to fill these things in. Because we're going to notice here there's four characteristics. There's more, but there's four characteristics here that we found in friendship just in the book of Proverbs. And we're going to see that in these two men, there was failure in one of those areas. The first thing is, is a good friend will show consistency in the relationship. You know, Proverbs 18 verse 24 says, A man who has friends must himself be friendly. <laughs> now that... Seems like an obvious thing, but but you must be friendly. But then it goes on more than just saying you have a lot of acquaintances. Which is what the scripture is actually alluding to there, because it continues, and says, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. 
You have them, don't you? I have them. You know, there, there we have a lot of friends, but then we have a friend who shows consistency in the relationship. They will be there through thick and thin. They will be there when friendship is in season and when it's out of season. If you don't have a friend like that, pray for one. Be one. Because that's a characteristic of a faithful friend. Another characteristic is a, a good friend will use candor in dealing with issues of concern. Um, we, this is the second service. In the first service, I, I preached this, and a, a fellow came up and told me bluntly some things. He says, I'm using candor. <laughs> he says, I'm being truthful and bold with you. <laughs> and it was, it was, he did say it in jest. But the thing is, is when we see a friend going in the wrong direction, a faithful friend will deal with that issue. He'll pray for guidance. He'll pray for he'll pray for for um, for discernment. But he'll deal with the issue. And the proverb says, "Faithful are the wounds of a friend." Years ago, um, a couple faithful pastors who um, who who I'd been casually working with, but they've been investing in my ministry or in my life. I was just a young guy. They noticed they they spotted a weakness in my life and and they pointed it out. They pointed it out together. And now at one time, I've been thinking about this, not one time did I feel threatened. Not at one time did I feel that they were rejecting me. I felt that they were concerned. And so I responded. It helped me. And now then we ended up serving together for many, many years. One is now retired and the other one's with the Lord right now. And so, you know, a good friend will use candor when dealing with issues of concern. It involves spiritual maturity. A good friend will also offer good counsel. You know, he'll, he'll seek the counsel and then he'll offer it. And, you know, the sweetness of a man's friend, the proverb says, gives delight by hearty counsel. You know, it's not, not just a slap on the back, but actually giving them something that, that they can use. Uh, verse 19 of Proverbs 27 says, As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend and then fourthly a good friend shows consideration you know that's the old word tack using tack it shows when you use tack in a relationship it shows that you care enough to know about that person you care enough about your friend that you will determine what he's feeling at the time as you deliver your concern you know the, the there's a there's an old saying that says that to walk a mile in someone's shoes. In other words, to take the time to understand their experiences, to understand their challenges and the thought processes. And I'll tell you what, that takes, that takes time. That's what a faithful friend does. I like the way Proverbs says it. He, uh, it always makes me smile whenever I read it like this. He says, He who blesses his friend with a loud voice rising early in the morning, it will be counted a curse to him. In other words, don't call me before seven. <laughs> you know, be very careful about the way you present yourself to somebody because you could turn a good thing into something that's very misunderstood. So Paul here mentions two men in this group here in his closing remarks that would later turn their back on Paul. Later, instead of being a partner in ministry, they would be a failure in ministry. So let's look at them just briefly and draw some things. Number one is there was Demas. He's found there in verse number 14. 
when he's listed with Luke. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. So there's a man who was working with the Apostle Paul. Um, when it comes to Christian service, though, one of probably the most disturbing passages of Scripture that you're going to find written by the Apostle Paul was when he wrote to Timothy some years later. In 2 Timothy 4.10, he says, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world and has departed for Thessalonica. What a personal disappointment this was to the Apostle Paul. Demas has forsaken me. In Paul's perspective, Demas was working closely with him, and yet he had disappointed him. He had abandoned him. The word forsaken is a very powerful word. He left him in a dire situation. He was working with him, and then when he left, Paul had to pick up the pieces. Demas was called, um, um, when Paul was writing to Philemon about uh, his, his slave uh, who, who became a Christian, um, Onesimus, uh, uh, Paul sends a greeting from Demas to Philemon. And he said to him, he says, he's my fellow laborer. He's the, he was listed alongside other ministry partners, like we just read a few moments ago with Dr. Luke and, and Epaphras. He was listed with them. These were key people who worked with Paul. And Demas was right there with him. He was the man who he could be relied on. He was the man who, 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 was, who was successful in what he did. And, and Paul, and he had a great ministry together. You say, I don't read that much about Demas. No, you won't. There's only three places in all the New Testament mentioned Demas. Two of them, positive. One of them is, whatever happened to Demas? The reason is even worse for the forsaking. It's not that he got sick and everything like that. No, he actually made a conscious decision that he was going to leave. And here's what he did. He says in, in, to, to his letter um, in 2 Timothy 4.10, he said, Demas has forsaken me having loved this present world. You know, the, the reason is, is the allurement of the world took Demas' attention away. And he lost not just a ministry partner, he lost a good friend. Demas just simply quit. How tragic is that? You know, Paul doesn't, doesn't say a great deal about it. He keeps the details to himself. But I have this feeling that a lot of people knew what was going on. The Bible says he went back to Thessalonica. There was a church in Thessalonica. Demas, we don't see that he was a part of that church. Never got involved in it. We don't know if Demas was continued to walk with the Lord, but all we can, we can surmise from that is that Demas was now being motivated by the things of the world instead of the ministry of the Apostle Paul. He left this wonderful ministry opportunity because he saw things from a different perspective, a perspective that meant that he had to quit. So there's several lessons that we can learn here because we don't want to be like that, do we? We don't want to be a Demas. And yet there are ways that we will tur turn around and we will be a Demas. So we need to learn endurance. So, so there's a few things that we can learn about endurance from the life of Demas or draw from this that we need to do. And number one is if you want to have endurance in your life and not be allured by the world because that can happen. There's a lot of things that can take our attention away. Number one is you need to have a daily um, perspective that's eternal. 
You need to maintain daily an eternal perspective. Do you remember when Paul was writing here? We're in our 14th message in Colossians, but message some way back there in chapter number three. He says in verses um, in verses one and two, he says, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is. Sitting at the right hand of God, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. You see, by maintaining a proper focus on life from an eternal perspective, then you're going to focus on the right thing. It protects you from the allurements of the world. Now, that doesn't mean you don't have the, the things of the world. It doesn't mean you don't enjoy the, the homes and the things that God gives us to enjoy and the, the wonderful things. But that's not where our love is. By having a, a, um, a, a, an eternal perspective, you begin to view things differently. And so, therefore, the things that you build in life will actually last. It's the difference between having something that you consume and having an heritage. It's what you're focusing on will get you to the journey. Because, see, you and I are not just living for the moment. We're living for the moment with an eternal perspective. Some of you know that I ride motorcycles. and Michael rides motorcycles. There's a few of you. If you ever want to go riding, let us know. But we like riding motorcycles. And, and sometimes we, we, we get out and we do it. We don't do it as much as we want to. But, look, when I was young and started riding... I was taught something that's very, very important that I've never forgotten because I haven't forgotten it because it hurt one time when I did forget it. And that is keep your focus. You remember the old story, Easy Rider, with the guys just sitting back there? That doesn't happen. If you're, if you're just sitting back there and you're, you're just your mind somewhere else, you're going to be in big, big trouble. And one of the um, instructors told me, I never took a class, but hang out with other guys they said always keep your eye on to where you're going because if you keep your eye on where you're going you're going to get there but if you start looking around and doing different things then what's going to happen is you're going to be distracted here's what happened one time i was 18 years old had my first motorcycle i was showing off i was showing off to a girl and it wasn't my wife because I hadn't met her yet, so don't worry about that. But I was a kid, and I had my motorcycle, and her whole family was there, and I was showing how good I was driving back and forth. And, um, and I was watching them instead of watching the road, and I hit the curb, and I face-planted, fortunately on grass, and I was completely laid out. And, of course, full of sympathy, her mother absolutely cracked up laughing and thought it was the funniest thing in the world, and I took my pride and cleaned up and got off there, and I never forgot that. Another friend of mine was, was riding his motorcycle as well, and he saw a pretty girl walking along the road, so he looked at, bang, back of the car. Broke his leg. <laughs> I, I think his mother made him never ride a motorcycle again. <laughs> it's very important to keep the right focus. Now, folks, if that's true with just the things that we do here on this planet, what is true in our life? If you want endurance in your life, in the Christian life, one of the things is, remember, we're in it for the eternal perspective. And God will continue to work with you to get your eyes on him. Number two, the other thing that you're going to need if you're going to have endurance is you're going to need to remember something. You're not immune from failure. 
You're not immune from failure. You're never going to arrive to the place where you cannot fail. You know, and, and Paul wrote to the Corinthians in chapter 10 and verse number 12 with some, some words that are great reminders. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Keep your eye on the ball. Keep your eye on what, what's happening here. John gives us some insights here as to the allurement of the world and how that can happen. One of the things that we can learn about this is the devil's um, um, tactics never have changed. They're always the same. The allurements of the world fall into three different categories. You know them and I know them, but we need to be reminded of them. They come with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Years later, John writes in his epistle in chapter 2 and verses 15 to 17. He says, do not love the world, nor the things in the world. Notice the word love there. Don't love them. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. He's not saying not to enjoy the things in life. He's not saying that. He's saying just imagine the things that they could love um, back in those days. We wouldn't love them today. They did not have ha- they didn't have any of the things that we have today that can do. But they still apply to the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Today it may be something that wasn't even invented. A hundred years ago, some of the things that 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 attract our love and our attention weren't even in existence. So you see, love is the key here. Demas, Paul said, he says he's forsaken me because he loved this present world. And yet every single thing that was physical in that time would be just poverty today. We wouldn't even be recognizing it today. And yet it caught his attention. By the way, those three categories, the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life, were the the same categories that the devil used in the garden with Adam and Eve. And they failed. It was the same sort of categories that he used in the book of Luke when he dealt with Jesus and the great temptations of Jesus. You can easily identify them as the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We're not going to take time to look at them, but you know that Jesus passed that. You know how? The Bible says that, first of all, he was led of the Spirit to do that. And secondly, he used the Word of God. So it's important that you and I understand that this is a daily walk that we're going through, and we're not immune from failure. You don't want to fail And so, therefore, the last one is a lesson we can learn about endurance is that Christ's return changes the way you live. And when you anticipate that Jesus Christ is coming back again, it will change everything about you. Think about the first century. You know, you have the disciples. They see Jesus being crucified. They see Jesus going to the grave. They saw Jesus come back again alive changes everything for them 
And just as real as that is, when Jesus um, um, was ascended up, the Bible says that he, in the book of Acts, that he will come back the same way he left physically. And when you and I understand that Jesus Christ himself, if we were the first century Christians and we had seen Jesus alive, we, we would say there's reality there. That we, we would be motivated. It would change everything in our life. The very fact that Jesus is coming back again, you know, that's what makes a Christian church different from every other relationship. That's why we're gathered here today. You know, again, John writes about that. In the same passage where he's writing about not loving the world, he continues with that passage. And in chapter 2 of, of 1 John, we get down to verse number 28. And he says this, he says, And now little children abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence. So he's going to appear. So we want to have confidence and not be ashamed before him, at his coming if you know that he is righteous you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him knowledge and practice behold what manner of love the father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of god therefore the world does not know us the world doesn't get us they don't understand us because it did not know him Beloved, now are we the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. John is not writing poetically here. He's writing literally. And when Jesus Christ comes back again, we're going to look at it and we're going to say, that's what we're going to be like. That's what it is. And what does that do for us? He says in the last verse there, verse 3, he says, and everyone who has this hope in him, what's he going to do? He's going to purify himself, even as he is pure. In other words, when you anticipate the return of Christ, it changes every way you live. Demas forgot all those areas. He forgot the eternal perspective. Demas thought that he was immune from failure. Everything was going wrong. In fact, he may have thought that by going back to Thessalonica, that he was actually fulfilling a greater cause. And yet we hear nothing more about him. He had also forgotten that Jesus Christ, who rose from the dead, who ascended in his lifetime, was coming back again. He'd forgotten about that. And so he was allured by the world. And what did he do? Well, he devastated the Apostle Paul. He forsook the Apostle Paul. Let's move on to another picture, though. There's another man that Paul listed there in Colossians in that list of friends, and that was Mark, also known as John Mark. And John Mark failed in departing. Now, his failure is a little bit different. His failure wasn't like a failure of sin, moving away and departed like Demas did. No, his was a failure of other ways, and we're going to talk about that. But there's a lesson, some lessons that we can learn here that, that really is applicable. And that is lessons on restoration. There's one thing that we need to understand as a church of God is that we need to be in the people restoring business. With Mark, we have a tremendous example here of second chances. Now, with some of us, it's not just second chances, is it? It's third chances and fourth chances. And God's that way. 
You know, let me tell you about Mark, if, if you don't remember about him. He lists him here, uh, right here in verse number 10, as the cousin of Barnabas. And, he, and, he, and he's working with him, and, and he's very, very, um, uh, he says, look, um, you've received instructions from him. Accept him. Work with him. Um, there's a great thing going on, but it wasn't always that way. It wasn't always. When, when he wrote this about Demas, later on, Demas fails. But when he writes this about Mark, Mark's already gone through the failure and he's been restored. You see, when you get to the book of Acts, you read about Mark. In, in Acts chapter number 12, you read that, that Mark actually comes from a, a home um, where his mother would have prayer meetings. It's in Acts chapter 12 and verse number 12. And there was young Mark. He was raised in this home by this godly mother who would have the, the, um, the disciples of Jesus coming to the home and they would have prayer meetings together. Can you imagine what he was witnessing there and the, the amount of influence that he was seeing there? And then the early church was doing that. And as they were doing that, there was this young man here who was observing all that, who was getting involved in all that. And then we see here that when Paul, uh, when Barnabas, excuse me, was, was called to, to work in Antioch and he went back and he he says, look, I want to grab Saul to come and work with me. Um, Barnabas's um, uh, cousin there, young Mark, says, can I come too? He says, sure, you can come. You're going to see a church plant in action here. And so, you know, you got Paul and Barnabas working there. But the Bible says, just, just mentions that Mark was there also. He's observing all these things that's going on. So, so what a privileged position he has here. He sees men of God praying and seeing answers to prayer. He sees men working together to start a church at Antioch, where, by the way, they were first called Christians in Antioch. And, and he saw the, the moving of God there. And then in, in, in chapter number 13, he sees something even greater. God calls that church to send Barnabas and Saul to go out and to, and to spread the gospel. And we call it the first missionary journey. No one had ever done this before. And there was Mark observing all this. And then we find out as we move down that, that verse there, uh, in, in verse number five, we find out there's Mark again. Can I come along? And they go, sure, you can come along. You can carry the bags. It doesn't say that, but it says he came along as a helper. And as he was helping them, he's observing all these things that are going on. And here's Mark there is taking on more and more responsibilities now because now he's on a missionary journey. But Mark is way out of his depth. He sees Barnabas and Saul dealing with some spiritual conflict that would make a mature Christian just, just shudder. And, and they were really involved with, with this. And Mark here, the Bible says, bailed out. And he goes home. And we're only in verse number 13 of chapter 13. Verse number 2, they get called. Verse number 13, Mark bails on them. We don't know why. We, it, it doesn't, there was no sin involved or anything like that. He was probably just young. He, he, was, he was a little naive. He wasn't ready for this. And so he goes back home. Now, the reason why we know that this was important is because when in chapter 15 of the book of Acts, when Paul and Barnabas are sitting down and they're they're working together as, 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 as missionaries do together, they strategize, they work out what they're going to do for the next missionary journey. Barnabas says to Paul, let's take Mark with us on the second missionary journey. And Paul says, no, because he left us. He's not ready. The Bible says that 
the the contention was so sharp against uh, well, over that one issue that Barnabas says, I'm going to take him and I'm going to work with him a bit longer. So he goes and takes Mark and he goes to Cyprus and he, he begins. And we don't hear anything more about that, but we know something very, very important happened because Barnabas is known as the son of encouragement. Barnabas took this young man, Mark, who the Apostle Paul says, look, he's not ready. We've got important business to do here. That's not my problem at the moment. We're going to go. And so he takes Silas and just as well, because then you find them. Paul and Silas end up in Philippi. And you know what's happening in Philippi? They end up being thrown in jail. And at midnight, they're singing. Mark's not there. He couldn't have handled that. But there's Barnabas that working with Mark in Cyprus. He's doing work with Mark. That's some of the background there. We can sense, though, Paul's disappointment in Mark because he was so prepared to break up a relationship with Barnabas. And yet we see something else here. God's not finished with Mark, but God also does something incredible here. Instead of one team of two leading to the mission field, we now have two teams of four. And now we've, we've got something that's a quite incredible happening. So we're thankful for that. There's one more thing that we need to understand about this relationship with Paul and, and Mark is in Colossians 4, and I brought this out before, we now see that Paul is in prison and he's writing his letter to the church at Colossae. And as he wraps it up, he mentions John Mark. He says, Mark's with me and I'm going to send him to you you remember and then in second timothy chapter 4 and verse number 11 when paul writes to timothy he warns him about he says look demas is gone he's left me he says now he specifically requests for john mark to come to be sent to him and he adds this important thing he says send john mark to me he says because he's useful to me in ministry something had happened in that young man's life Let's go grab three very quick and important lessons because I, I just sense that there's a lot of marks in this room. You may not be named Mark, but you know a mark or maybe you are the mark. And maybe things have happened in your life where, where, where something's failed or you've departed and you think, what can ever happen about this? Or maybe you know somebody in your life that's going through that. Well, there's three things. There could be more, but be thankful that I've only got three, okay? There's three things that we can think about. No, number one is, don't allow your past failures to define your future. That's a famous saying, actually. Don't, don't allow the things that, you, that caused you to fail to define who you are. You know, Mark may have quit at one point, but he certainly didn't stay there. He moved on. He became a blessing to Paul's ministry. And you know, more than that, when you pick up your Bible, your New Testament, he wrote the second gospel of the New Testament. That was Mark. He named it Mark. <laughs> and so, you know, it's an important thing that we understand here is that sure he failed. Everybody fails at one point. You know, the Bible tells us that actually we're a work of God. 
And God's doing a work in our life. And, and it reminds me of a wonderful psalm, Psalm 37, verses 23 and 24. I love these passages. Make them your passages too. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. The Lord is upholding you. He is working with you. He never gives up on you. Remember the things that have probably happened in your life happened. And I'm not talking about sin like like demons. Did. I'm talking about just just failure because you're you're immature. You're young. You need a Barnabas next to you to help you to understand that you need to grow in life, in, in, in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's my second point here. Never um, uh, understand, never not understand that you can learn from your failures. You need to learn from your failures. Uh, you might as well learn from them because they're still there. <laughs> you might as well learn from them. It's better than being defeated because God will certainly use those failures to build you in ways of fruitfulness. John chapter 15, if I recall, uses another term. It's the term pruning. He prunes our lives. He will continually do this. Remember, you're never immune from failing. So therefore, use those failures that you have as lessons in your life. Now, you're going to need some people come alongside you that will use those six things that we discussed earlier that will encourage you that will edify you, that, will, that they will pray for you, they will understand to share the load with you. God will bring these people into your life. That's why the church of Jesus Christ, I'm talking about the local church right here, is so vital to our Christian life and our growth. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 to the church there at Corinth and to us, in verse number 13, he says, No temptation... A temptation is a trial or anything like this. No temptation has overtaken you except that is common to man. Someone else has gone through it. You're not alone in this. You're not the first person that's ever gone through this, although it may feel like it. He says, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted above that or above what you are able but will with the temptation also make a way of escape. With that trial and that temptation you are, you're going to find the answer, the escapes in the temptation. We're not talking about sitting on the sidelines and looking at it all academically. We're talking about being in the trial. That's where the answer comes. He says that within that trial, you'll make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. He will not take the trial off you. He will allow you to go through it. And you may need a Barnabas, an encourager to be there to continue to show you the bigger picture that's going on. And then the third one is to Barnabases. And that is never give up on a relationship. Never give up. Now, there are times when relationships break and things like this, but God is in control. So never give up. We find that with Barnabas and Mark, and we find that later with, 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 with um, Paul and Mark. We don't sense that Paul has any, any regrets and he has to do any apologies or all that. No, no, Paul understood the situation, 
And Paul understood the relationship was there. Come on back in. Let's keep working together. Allow God to do his work in them while he's using you to do the restoration. You're not going to restore them. God's going to restore them, but he may use you as an instrument. Galatians 6, we started with this. Let me remind you what we're called to do. He doesn't tell us a select few. He says the church is supposed to be doing this. Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You remember what the law of Christ is, don't you? It's love. He says here to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. That's the law of Christ. Allow God's promises of faithfulness to encourage you to be faithful. I'll say that again. Allow God's promises of his faithfulness to encourage you to be faithful. 2 Timothy 2.13, Paul is indicating as he's writing in that same passage there, he's writing to to, um, the the man he's mentoring, Timothy. And And he says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Often when we are faithless or we, we, we fail some way, we focus on the failure instead of on the faithful one. He said, focus on him. Paul didn't give up on Mark, not by any means. Only Luke is with me, he writes. Only Luke is with me. I'm left with one more, one, and he's a doctor. <laughs> Only he's with me. He said, but get Mark. Bring him with you, for he is useful to me in ministry most of the time when i'm i'm doing things like this i i I think of songs that that are important in my life and this is another one maybe you'll you'll recognize i won't be singing it to you so don't worry about that but it goes like this it says god will make a way when there seems to be no way he works in ways we cannot see he will make a way for me he will be my guide He holds me closely to his side. With love and strength for each new day, he will make a way. He will make a way. By the way, you remember the story that I started with about my friend from 31 years ago who started working ministry? Well, I came across his Facebook page today. After all those years, I've learned how to do something. And, um, And I found him there. I thought, oh my goodness, I found him. And um, I'm so happy to see that he and his wife are still together. And he's serving the Lord in a ministry that he probably never dreamed he'd be doing. And never dreamed I'd be doing, would see that. He's working in a chapel. He's been, a, he's been working there for about seven years. But he's a school teacher. And he's had all these different things that he's done. He's a school teacher now. He's, he's been working in his Indian reservation there and. In, in North America, and his wife has become a nurse, and she works in the health department in that Indian reservation. And um, I heard him give a testimony on YouTube. I found him on YouTube as well, and he was giving this testimony about the journey. And he mentioned his time in Australia, the disappointments, but how God was moving, how God is working in his life, and how God was faithful in his life, and how he 
has experienced his provision and his leading and given him, even though he's, he's done from this and seems like he's failed here and there, he's given him fresh opportunities and, <clears throat> and the man took the, the opportunities. So I reached out to him after all those years. I sent him a note and, um, and I got a reply yesterday. In fact, he sent me an epistle. And he told me all about what he's been doing. He was so excited to, 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 to hear from me. And so we both ended up sharing with one another about what we're doing. And we both said in those things, we said, wow, look what God has been doing in our lives. Hey, God hasn't forgotten you. That's why we need that reminder. You may be a Demas today. Don't allow the allurements of the world to take your eye off the ministry of what God has for you. You may be a Mark today. Don't allow your inexperience or your enthusiasm without the, the proper foundations to destroy whatever God has for you. But if you have, let him pick up the pieces and he'll do something great for you and in you. Your situation, your relationships may change, but God doesn't. He's faithful. Our Lord wants to use you as an instrument of grace. And it's not a coincidence that the Apostle Paul, in every one of his epistles, when he closes them, he closes them with words very similar to what he did with the Colossian epistle. In verse number 18, he says, Grace be with you. Let's all stand together. Thank you, Lord, for that grace that we have that's bestowed upon you. It's, it's the riches that we have in you that we do not deserve, but we receive because we are a work in your hands. And Lord, I pray today that we'll take this message on board as we begin a new term, as we move into our our connect groups, and we move into our Bible studies and our prayer um, times together. Lord, may we not take these for granted or allow them to go lax. May we, Lord, renew that call that we have in our life to be an encourager or to be encouraged. And I pray, Lord, and I thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. For he died on the cross for our sins and he rose from the dead the third day. And as we put our faith and our trust in what you did for us, we have eternal life and we are your children. If there's somebody here today who needs that gospel, I pray, Lord, that they will call upon you today. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.